Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life Your Shirt, Your Your Shirt, Your Life Your Shirt, on this episode of the Your Life Your Terms show, I sit down with Robin Tobe to discuss her book, The Wisest Investment: Teaching Your Kids to Be Responsible, Independent, and Money Smart for Life. I feel like I got a lot of money lessons through watching um, our parents and then diving into some books in my early 20s. And I feel if you can get this information into your kid's brain earlier, you might save them some of the pain that I went through with racking up credit card debt and taking on too many student loans and using my student loans for silly things. So I really think this is a great piece of information she's put out here, hugely valuable. And I also think a lot of parents just don't know how to speak to their children about money. She does an absolute wonderful job of giving you tips on how to speak to your children. And that's what we discuss in this particular episode. And if you are listening to this and you want to chat about real estate investments to your kids, you can also check out some of the books we give away on that particular subject by going to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. We have a bunch of books that we've put together. The most popular one is Income for Life for Canadians. That book has been downloaded tens of thousands of times. We also have an investing blueprint book and we have a book called Your Life, Your Terms where some of our investors share their stories on how they got started with real estate investing and every chapter of that book is their own personal journey. So you can get all different free copies of those books at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the chat. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Robin. Robin, how do I pronounce your last name? I don't want to mess it up. Tobe. Oh, I was going to say Tob. Uh, Tob. A lot Tob. of people do. No. Say it again for me. Tobe. Tobe. What's yeah. the What's the background of that last name? Like Tobe. Eastern European. Eastern European. Probably. Like Romanian. Po- Polish Russian. Polish Russian. Yes. Oh wow. Yes. And uh, yeah, so I was just complimenting Robin, everyone listening, on how calm she is here. Because usually before we start this, people are nervous. You're totally not nervous. So it'll be, my, it'll be my job to try to make you nervous. Okay. Put you on the hot seat. I feel like I'm on the Joe Rogan show with these headphones on and this whole setup. It's great. I'm oh, excited. really? Oh, yeah. we're happy for you uh, to be here. So, uh, so Robin, you got your book that we're going to dive into, The Wisest Investment, Teaching Your Kids to Be Responsible, Independent, and Money Smart for Life. The reason that this means something to me, and we were talking about this briefly before we started recording I love my parents okay <laughs> my parents are yeah yeah very I'm, I'm you know they're ultimately I owe them everything because without them I'm <laughs> not here. here but when the topic of money came up in our household I'm just thinking if our mom listens to this if the topic of money came up it just really wasn't discussed very much investing or saving wasn't discussed our father ran a business for a while, and I'm, I'm chuckling, but it was a horrible situation in the early 90s in the recession there, that it was just stress. So the topic of money, sometimes he would grab at his heart, you know, thinking yeah. like, I'm like, you know, is he going to be okay? And uh, Nick and I, my brother and I, had to figure out a lot of our own money lessons, you know, our own way. It wasn't in high school. It wasn't anywhere. And it was through different books and mentors. So when I saw that you had... I don't even know how we cross paths, but I, when you wrote this book and I saw the topic of this book, I just knew we had to chat. So you got to tell me, 
how did you get to the point of writing this book? And it must come from a place of frustration. So I want to hear it. Actually, that's an interesting hypothesis, but it didn't come from a place of frustration. Um, so I'm an accountant by training. So I have a financial background. I worked in accounting firms. I worked on the trading floor at Citibank Canada and derivatives. And so I've always felt really comfortable and confident with money and financial concepts. And we didn't talk about money a lot growing up in my house, but it wasn't off limits. It wasn't taboo. I don't remember having those feelings about it. I mean, sure, my parents each had certain, you know, weird habits with money, but it wasn't something that we couldn't talk about. And then again, having pursued it professionally, that was always something that I just felt I was always very interested in it, like economics, business, finance. So when my kids were growing up, it was just something that we talked about. My husband's also an accountant by training. We actually met at work. <laughs> so in our house, it was it was a topic of conversation. And my husband runs his own business. So again, business was a topic of conversation. And it was something that I felt strongly that my kids should have a good grounding in. You know, I wanted to raise kids, like the book says, that are responsible, independent, and money smart for life. So at a young age, I just started talking to my kids about money, building these teachable moments into our day-to-day -day lives, these little money lessons as they would crop up. And it, it really did pay off because my kids are now in their 20s. And um, what my daughter followed in my footsteps, in a sense, and she went into accounting. But my son didn't. He studied philosophy, and he's a musician. And he still has a very good understanding of money and finance. So that's what got me interested in it. But the book itself actually came about because originally CPA Canada, uh, they published the first version of this book. It had a different title. And they actually um, had done research and they wanted to help parents who they knew were struggling. They, they did a study that found that 78% of parents had tried to teach their kids about money. More than two-thirds didn't feel they'd been very successful, and half didn't know what information they needed. So with that, they decided they wanted to write a book or, or have a book written that they would publish. It was their first consumer publication. They had only written guides for accountants before, and they hired me to do it. So that's kind of how the book came into being. And then that book came out 10 years ago or more now, 11, and I recently updated it, updated it to reflect the fact that we're living in this digital world now where cash is disappearing and and we were hit by this pandemic which had so many consequences so that's why I, it's now called the wisest investment and it really is You're my such philosophy. a nice person you didn't come from a place of frustration like so much of my no. life has come from you no. came from a place of this needs to be done and i can contribute so yes. you were like being of service, which is uh, fantastic. So exactly. And I, I, I want to dive into this a little bit, but 10 years ago, so you wrote this 10 years ago yes. and you've kind of stuck with it because now you said you've updated it. Mm -hmm. It'd be nice through this 10 years if this book was threaded through our education system um, almost as like, I don't know the latest, you allude to it in your book that there's, you know, some different education going on. Yes. But I feel like something like this would be really great mandatory reading like really towards the end, somewhere in grade school, then again in high school, like just a quick seminar or something. Right. I just feel like in high school, I I feel like there was the opportunity to really make an impression on money and how the system works. Mm -hmm. And the business course I took in high school in grade 12, or this was back in grade 13 days, uh, it was kind of okay. helpful, but 
I really feel like if I reflect back on those years, I got nothing. <laughs> I got, I got like less zero. than you. <laughs> and I also, I went through grade 13 that extra year. No, I mean, we had a law class, which I didn't take. We had an accounting course in, you know, at my high school. We did have an economics course, which I took and loved. And that kind of got me set on my path towards, you know, doing a commerce degree at University of Toronto and then becoming an accountant. But um, like you said, financial literacy, which for your listeners, viewers, is the knowledge, skills, and confidence to make responsible financial decisions at every life stage. That wasn't taught. I didn't come out with any knowledge or skills or confidence in that area. And I kind of taught it to myself as I went through school and then life. Um, and again, having I did have the confidence because I had studied this stuff. But most people don't. Um, and now, though, there is financial, like, for example, in Ontario, financial literacy has been integrated into the curriculum since 2011, so when this book actually came out, um, from grades 4 to 12. And, and it's even gone further in recent years, so now the grade 10 careers course in Ontario um, has module, a module on financial literacy, and they're teaching age-appropriate things like how to plan for the cost of university or life after high school. And the grade nine math course was updated in September of 2021 to also teach some of these financial skills like what's a mortgage and you know how does that all work. So, And it's being done across the country in every province and territory in different ways, mandatory courses, electives, investment clubs, all these things. So it is happening now more in school. Wow, you're so po I'm such a skeptic. You're so positive on this. I'm glad that it's happening. I'm well, still how well it's been done by the, you know. I want you to go to all the schools. Here's the plan, okay? Get all the high schools in Ontario. Start with Ontario. Go through all the high schools and give like a two-hour talk and then hand out the book at the end. I think that would be very impactful. I would impactful. love that if, if my book was a textbook or required yeah, reading. Yeah. Even though it's for parents, certainly like high school kids can read this book. Um, and I have been involved in curriculum programs that, for example, Royal Bank created a program that they were delivering in the high schools um, in, you know, different modules on saving, spending, and investing. Okay, and cool. yeah, over the, you know, there's lots of grassroots efforts to create resources for t to help teachers teach this. Um, but again, it always comes down to like how comfortable is the teacher with this material? Sure. And are the kids paying attention? What are they taking away from this? But really, most people feel that parents and guardians are have the most responsibility for teaching this. Sure. And of course, that, that makes sense. When you um, I'm just thinking you're, you're reminding me of my own journey because I went to university and I think CIBC had like a student visa booth. And of course, For like sure. I, I got one and then I made, I went on to make minimum payments on my student visa. I don't even know what the rate was. I assume it was 18% or probably. higher. And I was making minimum payments probably for three or four years. <gasps> Until someone told you. Yeah. Yeah. I forget. The, and then I paid off the debt you. and it was my student loans that I got, um, that I used to go to Acapulco. Because that, you know, I, I took the money, but then I you, <laughs> used the money for something different. Right, not the intended. And, no, and I even funded a buddy of mine, his trip to Acapulco. And after like two years after graduating, I'm still paying everything back, right? And I remember going to him saying, hey, listen, you know, can you pay me back for that trip already? I'm trying to pay off these freaking student loans, man. <laughs> I think it was my OSAP. I assume they still have OSAP, yeah, they but do. it was OSAP loans. Yeah. So yeah, my journey into finance was uh, just going straight into debt. <laughs> credit card debt yeah credit card debt immediately yeah. and yeah. i hear that story a lot because they are on campus these credit card companies yeah so what do you tell people on that specific and i want to get into different parts yeah, of your book, but well, just since that came up what do you say to people about getting their first credit card or that kind of debt well i try to get parents to teach their kids about what a credit card is even way before they're old enough to 
to use one. So most kids get them if they're lucky, if, you know, it's a, a card on the families, you know, it's like a supplementary card, they should still understand if they're charging things, what this means, how it's different from a debit card. Money's not coming out of your account. It's buy now, pay later, right? You're borrowing money. So I try to get parents to explain how it works, that, it, you know, it all adds up to one amount that's due on a specific due date. If you only make the minimum payment, you're not really chipping away at it, and it grows and interest is charged. And you can even see uh, on the statement, how long it's going to take to pay off if only the minimum payment is made. Oh my gosh, I forgot right? that. But that yeah. is a great thing. I think thing mine was so long that I just stopped looking at that. I forgot about that. Because it's years. It's yeah. years. So that's step one. And then when they're old enough to get their own card, which is the age of majority, so 18 or 19, then it should be their responsibility. So it's their card, set the limit low so they can't get into too much trouble, like maybe 500 or 1,000. Get a card with no fees and make sure they understand that they have to check it, make, take a look at it on your phone or go onto your computer, make sure the transactions look legitimate, see when the due date is, plan ahead, make sure you have the money to pay it off. Because if you use it responsibly, it is a great way to build a credit history and a credit score. But if you don't, it's a very fast way to get into trouble, and then you have to dig yourself out. And then it was, it's a disaster. We actually have my, yeah, my son has, uh, I think it's a $500 limit. He had to go with one of the, I think, higher interest rate cards because he had no credit history and mm -hmm. I wanted him to qualify for it because right. it's his thing. His card. But secretly, I'm always panicking that he might not be you know, making the, the full payment on no. it. But I, I don't want to be that parent to remind him. So like, I want him to handle it. But then I'm panicked at the same time. I think maybe this is a generational thing. My parents didn't teach me anything. Now They're I'm like trying totally to overcompensate. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, My son would like torture me. Like He would jokingly be like, wait, I can't remember if I paid off my credit card bill. Did I? Wait, it might be late. Is that bad? Like he would just say these things because he knew it would drive me crazy. In your book, what I really liked is when you talk about your values and how your yeah. values influence your financial decisions. Can you talk about that a little bit and why yes, you put that in the book? I'd love to. So I have three strategies for parents because I know parents might be hearing this going, oh my God, this sounds really important. I don't want my kids to make the same mistakes I made, but like where am I going to find the time or the knowledge to teach my kids about money? Well, I have these three strategies one of them is to use your values. And your values are the things that are most important to you, that you're willing to take a stand for. So for some families, it might be education, it might be adventure, security, health, relationships. And your values can act as almost like an invisible framework to help guide and prioritize financial decisions and to set meaningful goals. So in the book, as you saw, I have an exercise called the values validator that helps you tease out what your top five values are. And then again, keep those values top of mind when you're making financial decisions and talk about your values with your kids because actions speak louder than words. So our kids are watching and, and listening and learning from us and the way we behave around money and the way, you know, how we spend our money tells our kids a lot about our values. So just keeping all that in mind and then using those to help them set goals. Yeah, I love it. And at the end of the, the chapter early on, I love the resources that you have in here because I find a lot of books I used to read on money. Because I think in my 20s, when I realized I was useless with this and I had to figure it all out, I read a ton. But I didn't see resources like you have like the role model self-assessment where you kind of like give yourself a grade on like how you are about money. Yes. And then creating a budget. You have a really nice, simple way to create a budget. And then you have assets and liabilities, which is like amazing. This is like chapter one, but laid out so easily and clearly so it's easy to fill out. But then my favorite, the values validator mm -hmm. at the end of this chapter, 
And they're the, number 20, um, you called it wealth. I really resonated with the description of that value, which is I want to be able to afford opportunities. Mm. What I've learned in my life is that I like autonomy. I don't That's want what any, you call that. Yeah, I, don't, I like that too. Yes. I don't want anyone to tell me what to mm-hmm. do. Just leave me alone. That's part <laughs> but, uh, of your, your, yes, your turn, sure. right? Yes, for sure. For sure. So to, I realized that to be able to, to be like that, and not in some like mean way, I just like I wanted to you know march to my own drumbeat mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I would have to figure out money in the financial system mm-hmm. and my own kind of like how to build a net worth and how to have cash flow and, and freedom. But I had never, I only, you know, I've only come to realize that about myself, maybe in my thirties or something, if I had mm-hmm. seen this and how your values can really kind of tie back to some of your early financial decisions decision and decisions on how you make money. Like if I saw this when I was at the end of high school and it's, and if I discovered back then that autonomy was really important to me, I could have made some career choices mm-hmm. that really would have lined up with my values. So out of all the things that you've shared here, the net worth statement stuff, I just think, wow, at the end of high school, wouldn't it be great if everyone just looked at all their values? Because you have so much listed here, like self-development, security, routine, prestige, power, location, independence, adventure, advancement, Mm -hmm. activity. Like if you just went through that, it's such a unique, different way to look at money Mm -hmm. that I think would have impacted me at an early age. Whereas maybe the cash flow statement would have felt like homework. I know. You know, whereas this is so important. This is amazing that you put this in here. So I love it. Oh, thanks. I also came to learning about values and how important that is in decisions late too. I did a a professional coaching training program called CTI and that's where I first encountered it and did a values exercise and had the same kind of aha, like, oh my God, if I had only known about this, it would have saved a lot of pain. Pain. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Like dissonance, you know, cause you know, when things are not aligned with your values, you just feel uncomfortable. Things don't feel good. No, I remember Look, getting my first job. So I want you to finish that. I just yeah, remember no, you giving me flashbacks to my first job, like graduating university. I got this job as a programmer at the Royal Bank with the Royal Bank on Front Street downtown. And I lived in Mississauga, still my parents' house. I went to the GO train <laughs> and then I got on the GO train and then I went downtown. And I remember like just the GO train fees were high. And then after tax, my income wasn't as high as I thought it was going to be. And then I had to be on this train every day at a specific time. So just the finances weren't rewarding. And then the schedule of me being in this, like, I felt like I was being controlled. And the dissonance I felt at that moment was like, I'm going to swear, so I apologize. We're just getting to know each other. I'm like, fuck this shit. I go, this is shit. (laughs) This is all wrong. And I started having night. I literally, so it was Carol. We were, um, my girlfriend, then fiance, now we're married. Um, But I had nightmares. Like I was having, we'd be over at our house watching a movie. If I fell asleep, I would wake up with like sweats. Mm -hmm. And it was that dissonance that you're talking Mm -hmm. about. I just felt I'd done all these things, high school, university, got good marks, did what I thought was right. And then came into the real world going, this is my life. And I think that's why your values exercise resonates with me so deeply. So first of all, your listeners can get that for free if they visit robintobe.com. So that values validator will pop up and they can do it and figure out for themselves like what what is so important to them, like what they're willing to take a stand for. So in my case, when I started my career in accounting, the hours were insane, especially during tax season. And you had to do everything in the office. There was no such thing as remote work. And I've always loved working out and exercise. And I couldn't do that in the way that I wanted to. And that drove me crazy. So now I know that health and fitness is like a very high value for me and, and having the ability to work out and make that part of my day to day, that needs to be there in my life or I don't feel good. So at the time, I didn't know that. And 
drives I you suffer. crazy. Yeah. It's funny. Something so simple, like looking back now, I feel like, oh, well, Robin, you, didn't you know that about yourself? Like it's so obvious for people who know you, yeah. but you don't know it about yourself. It's frustrating. At that age. And oh. so, yeah, I think for even for our kids to do the values validator, even you'll be surprised that they have a sense of what's really important to them. You know, some kids, uh, like they already know they want to travel or they want to move out or they want to get a car. They want, you know, they want some, something that's tied back to a value. So I think it's, it's, it's an eye opener. So talk to me about allowance. And I love okay. the way you broke out the book, by the way, because you broke it out into different age groups of your kids, mm-hmm. uh, you know, age ranges I as did. kids are growing and you kind of have the same themes through all the ranges, but you talk about things a little bit differently depending on their age, which I loved. Exactly. Allowance. I get a lot of questions on allowance. What you what, do. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what can you so tell us? I feel like it's one of the top questions I get because, um, and I think, the issue comes down to some parents, they want to know, do I tie it to chores or do I just give my kids an allowance so that they have the opportunity to manage money and or, make choices with it? Or, or grades, which you cover. in. The- or grade. That's another thing. Some people want to tie the allowance to grades. So first of all, I like to think of, you mentioned this, the way the book's laid out, they, these five pillars of money. So earn, save, spend, share, and invest. So the five pillars never change, but the specific topics and examples do as your kids get older. So the the thing about allowance is that it does allow your kid to make these choices. If they have some money coming in, then they can decide how much to save, how much to spend, how much to share, how much to invest for the long term. Uh, The issue with tying it to chores is that some families feel those chores should be done out of a sense of family responsibility. And I agree with that. Others also want their kids to understand what it takes to earn money. And that makes sense too. So you have to do what feels right for you. Again, what's in line with your values and your means. And maybe there is a happy medium where you can give your kids a basic allowance that allows them to make, because you want them to make mistakes when the stakes are low right? Before they get a credit card at university, you want them to buy things that they regret or lose money or just whatever it is. And, um, and then if they have a basic allowance, they can make those choices with, and then they can have other opportunities to earn money. So extra things they do around the house that you would maybe have to pay someone to do, or when, once they're old enough even to do an odd job, like, you know, dog walking or babysitting, classic mm-hmm. babysitting, then they can earn money. And then, of course, once they're teenagers, they can get a real job. So I think just you want them exposed to money and the choices and the fact that there's consequences because money's a finite resource. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're making me think I I didn't really feel like I had those consequences for whatever reason. I went way too long. Just any money that came into my life, I just spent it all. Well, that's I just didn't save any of it. Like I remember going to the bar. That wasn't a choice that registered with you. Yeah, like I remember working construction and I was a subcontractor, so they didn't take any tax off. And then I, so I thought it was like rich with all, but you got paid actually really well. Mm-hmm. So then I, yeah. I had all this money, way more money at that time than my friends. So then we'd mm. go to the bars. So now I'm like 19 or 20 and I was just buying drinks for everyone. <laughs> I was just like, hey. hey, everyone here, you know what? I got it. Drinks are on me. Let's have some fun. Flash with cash. <laughs> and then I got the tax. I remember my accountant then saying, well, hey, Tom, like, Here's the, yeah, here's the tax you owe. And I literally remember driving away from his house. He was doing his personal taxes. I think he worked downtown, but he was doing personal taxes out of his house or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And uh, I remember driving away from his house in Mississauga, almost having a heart attack, thinking like, I don't, I don't know what I would have owed, maybe two or $3,000. Like it wasn't that much, but at the time, that might as well have been $80 million. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and I, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. But again, how would you have known if someone hadn't explained to you how income tax works? And that's also in the book because kids will expect their first paycheck to be the gross. But as we know, if you're an employee, there's it's the net and it's not just tax. There's things like Canada Pension Plan and employment insurance. So if no one explains it to you or you don't take the time to, to, to teach yourself, it's it's not your fault. Like, how would you know that? It's just devastating. It is. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, I'm with you. And then I'm you with... have a tax bill to yeah. pay. Which oh, my they're, gosh. They're not going <laughs> to oh forgive that. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. I'm just, I, I, I've shared this before. So I'm just, you're just giving me so many flashbacks of our family because <laughs> we had CRA froze my father's bank account for a while. This is the early 90s, deep recession, drywall company really struggling. And I guess my dad, I don't, I still to this yeah. day don't know all the details of that, but I remember going to the teller at it was a TD bank in Mississauga, close to where we lived, and I was trying to get money out. So um, for a little while, our parents were divorced. Um, during that time, I took care of some of the bills and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had an allotment to take from my father's bank account. I was contributing to these things at that time as well. Mm -hmm. And then when I took the, when I went to his bank account, which I, had, I guess I had authority on, I can't even remember, but they basically just told me, uh, I don't know why they it said- It was frozen? Yeah. They said, CR, there's a note on your account. Mm. Your account's frozen by CRA. Wow. And maybe my memory's foggy. Like maybe they didn't say CRA, but it was in the end. Yeah. And I remember just going home that day and then talking to my father. I'm like, yeah, I can't really get any money for those bills we need to pay. <laughs> anyway, you just go through it. This is shocking you, Robin. No, this was no, like I, normal upbringing. No, but bro. that's what happens in a family business sometimes yeah. that struggles. It was you use it was, the cash flow to pay the bills that are crushing down correct. on you. And you figure, oh, I'll deal with the yeah, yeah. source deductions or the remittances or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. Tax and, and I am thankful later. for that period because we got through it. It was bad, but we did definitely got through it. And I think it taught me a lot about money because sure. part of my education was I never want to be in that situation. The negative role model. It was, it was, <laughs> right? it was that. It really was. So then, you know, what then do you talk about in your book about bank accounts? Because you bring right. it up. Like, how do you introduce it? When's the right time? What do you say? Yeah. I mean, so in this digital world, it's like who's even using cash anymore? And I notice you have like a Bitcoin on yeah, your desk. Yeah, yeah, So that's the thing. Bitcoin dominates the headlines and everyone's thinking digital money's digital. So I still advise parents with young kids to start with cash because it's concrete and tangible and it's not conceptual. So with young kids, like let's say, you know, four-year-old, five-year-old, get them a piggy bank. And there's some great multi-slotted piggy banks that have four slots for those choices that I mentioned of save, spend, donate, and invest. But once they outgrow a piggy bank, it's time to open an account at the bank because, you know, you get a debit card, which is so important now because we are doing a lot of, you know, tapping to pay and just digital transactions. And um, it teaches your kids about the concept of interest that, you know, in theory, when your money's with the bank, they pay you interest if you have to borrow money. I like how you slipped in, in, in theory. theory. <laughs> well, especially youth accounts have yeah. very low. Yeah, yeah, Even, uh, even yeah. in, uh, you know, when interest rates are higher, they always have very low accounts because they have low fees or no fees. Um, but just introducing that concept of interest, it's, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a milestone once they open their own bank account. And then, as I said, they can transact, they can watch it online or on their phone and see how much money they have and you know if they've been spending it buying things or taking cash out they can 
have some kind of control over their spending mm -hmm. and what's going on there. And what you're saying is such a good point. I found with our kids doing the, uh, we didn't use a multi-slot piggy bank. That would have been nicer. We just had like little um, Tupperwares, mm -hmm. <laughs> but just separating it like you describe mm -hmm. seems so powerful and having it tangible, you know, for, like for here's your kids. allowance. And then if you're, you know, have your, your buckets, however you want to have them the way you've laid them out. Um, for my son, I remember vividly one time he wanted a new bike. So we made another one, which would have been like his savings or invest, but it was like his spending. So we made another one called bike. Yeah, for so sure. then he can like put all the money in the different buckets. And then he had like, you know, I'm like, oh, you don't have that much left over for your bike here. So maybe the money that you would have in your spending bucket, you got to make some choices now. Well, that's just it. You just said it. Choices. And that's, again, when you, ha when you have a goal, that teaches kids to delay gratification and wait for reward. So that's a really important thing to teach. Like it's a muscle that you want to mm -hmm. exercise and work in a habit that you want to be, that you want your kids to have so that they're not just, uh, you know, wasting their money on things that aren't that important to them because of instant gratification. Instead, they know what they want. It's tied to a value. It's a bike. And, you know, you have a plan for how you're going to save up for that. And often parents will offer to match. Like if your kid is saving for something big like a bike, maybe you can encourage them to reallocate by matching mm -hmm. whatever they can, whatever sure. they come up with. For sure. I'm just thinking um, my son's now 20 and um, he just uh, changed out the car that he was driving. He's been saving for a long time for that. And, mm -hmm. and we helped participate a, a bit in that. That was kind of our agreement if he hit a certain level. And I'm just thinking another thing that he had to learn in the last few years was about just inflation and that the price you're saving for something, how that changes. Mm. And looking back on my own teachings, I probably would have introduced some more earlier inflation talk. Mm -hmm. Just like just this kind of concept of how prices can change a little bit. Um, yeah, that's a really... Timely. Well, just because used cars right now, like <laughs> so much, they're appreciating that's assets so now, Rob. You're an accountant. <laughs> I think cars, you should consider appreciating assets. Yeah, now. instead <laughs> of taking depreciation, yeah. we should mark to market them. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, have, I have a couple more questions from your book, but I want to rewind yeah, before I sure. forget. What the heck were you doing with derivatives? At oh, yeah. What, what were you doing there? That what, was what, a great job. That yeah, was what so was cool. that all about? So I... I was working in an accounting, you know, I worked at accounting firms and then I had, I left to work a, a client of one firm that was in real estate syndication actually. And it was just, I, I lasted for only two years and, and I just, it was just a bad experience. Like remember that movie, Horrible Bosses? It was that. So a friend of mine was working at Citibank Canada at the time and he was in this derivatives marketing group and it sounded really interesting. And I got the job, like I had a lot of interviews and it was a totally different kind of job than I'd ever had. I worked on this open trading floor, like just like you see in the movies. And uh, yeah, I was on the team that serviced financial institutions. So we would um, work with the traders and the clients sort of in between to sell derivative products that they would use to either hedge their balance sheet or hedge a product that they were offering. Yeah, it was wow. really interesting. You were right in the nuts and bolts of the financial system there. Yeah, that you was were, like, a very interesting deep in there. job. Two years, but you said it was. I was the, there for five years. Oh, sorry, five yeah, years. Yeah, I was oh, there. Okay. I was and at said, the other place for two. The oh, okay. Client, and then five years at Citibank. Five years at Citibank, mm -hmm. and then you said it was an amazing job, but you also had a, it was horrible bosses. So you survived. No, no, no that was the other. Job. Oh, oh, sorry, I don't want to yeah, confuse them. Sorry, I don't want to confuse them. Yeah, no, no, okay. no the two Citibank. years uh, that, that where I was in real estate syndication were the horrible bosses. Citibank was good bosses and good people and really smart, smart people, like literal rocket scientists working on the trading floor. Wow. Doing the trading. 
Yeah. It was and then cool. where did you leave? I forget. I remember that uh, reading at the end of your book there. Where did you leave after that? That's when I went out on my own. Oh, got it. After okay. that. My kids were very young when I was working on the trading floor. They were like three and one. Oh, wow. Yeah. And my father passed away suddenly and I had a lot of uh, responsibilities to deal with related to that. Wow. So I took a short leave of absence to help get his tax returns filed in Canada and in the U.S. And then I didn't end up... I, I was very optimistic to think a two-month leave would would do it and I wasn't finished and there was a lot of work to do and I ended up not going back to Citibank but kind of starting in this financial literacy area. Awesome. So it was around that time um, after the global financial crisis in 2008 where people were starting to pay attention to what financial literacy was and why it was important in, in Canada there was a task force on it so a lot of stuff came out of that global financial crisis. Do you ever work with our government on anything? I should get you in there. <laughs> we need to, no. I haven't. No, no. Not directly. Like there's been some task force and yeah. um, you know, I've yes. like Yeah, I always feel those task force have such great objectives, but nothing I ever know. gets done. I mean, it's government. <laughs> I, I I will say though, November's financial literacy month in Canada. Okay. So obviously you didn't know that. No. Uh, I think every day is financial literacy month. It should month be. In Canada. It should be. Yeah. But so they do have a lot of things going on at that time that I participate in in those things sometimes with sometimes as a participant, sometimes my clients are doing things during financial literacy month to try and educate cool. Canadians. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Okay, so flip back to your book. What, what do you? What's your take on your f first job? And ta we talked covered taxes yeah. a little bit, but your first job, like, what's what comes to mind when I say that from the book? Well, my first real job was I think it was between my second and third year of university. I worked at a place called Office Land. Oh my gosh, I remember. Do office. you? It was yeah. on Dufferin near Glencairn. Oh, 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 Office Land. I think I'm thinking Office Depot. No, sorry. Like, I think that was, was like Business one. Depot. Yeah, stuff, that's office right. Depot. There yeah, yeah, Office Land. Office no. Land. They sold like fax machines, all kinds of used. <laughs> You're office. saying fax machines like, like it's a, such a relic. Do you remember the so fax cool. machine? Do you remember the roll of paper? Yes, yeah, special. Was, yeah, super thin paper. I just saw it in a movie too. Actually, I was watching a movie last week called The Insider about oh, the tobacco. Yeah. Anyways, they someone they were sending messages back and forth on a fax machine with that roll of thin paper. So yes, I worked there. I was a receptionist and um, they sold all kinds of used office equipment, including typewriters and all kinds of stuff like that. So that was a summer job. And then another one I remember was I worked in the economics department at U of T. Oh, cool. Between my third and fourth years. Yeah, I had two professors were writing a book and I was just huh. sort of a general researcher. And yeah, oh, wow. that was a cool job. Got it. And then anyone, so for your kid, no, your kids are older now. Yes. If someone's thinking with their kids, do you recommend, is there a certain age that you've seen some clients Start get, get jobs? Yeah. Or is it just family by family? Everyone's different. Well, I think, yes, that's true in everything to do with money. I would say family by family, everyone's unique. Some kids go to camp. Some kids uh, work in the family business from the time they're really little. Uh, it really depends on, you know, again, values, your, your financial means. I think a lot of kids start off, as I said earlier, babysitting. Like it's such a classic. It is, yeah. You know, they take the little certification at school and then they do their thing for a couple years and then they start wanting, you know, then they become teenagers and they want to go out on the weekends and not babysit. That's what happened with my kids. But, you know, there's so many classic like teenager jobs, like working in retail or working in a restaurant. And I think right now teens are in a strong position to get summer jobs if they don't already have one. I'm sure you know, like mm -hmm. such a tight labor market. And so employers are turning to teenagers. 
And there, there was a trend where teens weren't working as much because it was hard to find jobs and they were doing the things they needed to build their resumes to go, you know, for university and college. So, but now that's really shifted and teens are, there's lots of jobs and I think that, you know, they can negotiate pretty good terms and I, and I got to admit, uh, this generation of teenagers and even early, you know, if they're in their early 20s, I'm impressed with their work ethic yes. and their ability to handle things. I'm totally blown away. So this is, makes me, uh, you know, I feel like it's good times ahead for all of us. Because mm-hmm. I don't know, this generation coming they're out here. They're sophisticated, they're seem, smart. They're uh, the only negative is, I think because they have such a good environment to get a job, I want them to be yelled at a little bit more. <laughs> because I grew up on construction sites where you just got, oh gosh, yelled at. Yeah, I was like. It was yelling. probably very tough. It was horse looking back it was just all the trades yelling at each other like i remember being probably 15 on a job i don't even know if i should have been i, I started 13 on a job site it's just in the summer i went right. to school yeah of course, you're looking of course. at me like i worked no, there first time all time dad was well, in the drywall yeah yeah he, yeah it was, yeah, it was family world. family labor yeah. just throw them in and uh if you had to get up this is before cordless anything so if i had to get a plug and I would go around the corner and plug something in and somebody then would freak out saying that was their plug and they would unplug <gasps> it and they would just start yelling at me. And it's like, you know, I'm like 15 years old, some guy, 45 years old, big dude, just yelling down the hallway and some, yeah, and often not in English, all different right. languages, right? Because when I was on the job site, it was like heavy mm-hmm. Italian. Uh, my father's Croatian. So there was Croatian and Italian and Portuguese. Those are the three that come to mind mm-hmm. for me. And just everyone mm-hmm. yelling at each other, like with different swear words, you, <laughs> you know, so a lot of you definitely learned a lot. Of, yeah. But it was, it was a bit intimidating, but, uh, so that's my only regret of this generation. I'm like, I just wish they got yelled at a little bit more. Yeah. Maybe, I guess uh, in an office, you're not going to get yelled no. at very much. You need to be like on a construction site. I hear even construction or... sites are very pleasant right now. Really? Yeah, it's very, very different. Maybe retail or in a kitchen, you'd still Maybe. say that? Yeah. I don't know if this is a positive thing. It's just in my brain. Yeah. I just want them to suffer a little bit. Kind of a rite of passage. <laughs> yes, to totally. Get... Uh, totally. Yeah. Um, I love how you talk about paying yourself first and kind of mm-hmm. like the importance of that. Um, can you just talk about a little yeah. bit about that? So that's one of my 11 healthy habits of financial management. And I talk about it so for parents so that they can be good role models for their kids. But that's such a good habit for, you were saying like when you where it started making money, you didn't think about saving anything. You were just spending, right? So the idea with paying yourself first is that you take some off the top right away and just set it aside in a separate saving or investment account. It's almost like the way your income tax is supposed to be deducted off your paycheck. You just don't think about that money. You know that it's gone to the government already and you just learn to live on what's left. So that's the same idea. It takes the self-discipline of saving out of the process because most people if you wait for the end of the month there'll be no money left like if you if you pay yourself a few you know you end up paying everyone else first and then there's nothing left at the end so it's about prioritizing you and your savings and your goals and then just living on what's left i think uh yeah that that changed my life paying yourself first that's That's changed my financial life but the wow the, the the struggle i had to get over and i don't know how you address this with people is that I did have credit card debt when I started doing this mm-hmm. and I just made this decision that if I don't start, I have to pay these debts off, but if I don't put something away immediately, I'm just never going to be able to save. And so I actually did it while I still had some, some debts. Would you, what would you say to that? Like, is it, yeah. I know that's a unique answer. It depends on all the different types of debt and interest rates and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, but I just freaked out and I just thought I got to do both. I have to pay off my debt and I have to start saving and I got to do it right now. Like yeah. I went to from 
not having any financial literacy to maybe picking up quite a bit after reading like a whole bunch of books and then just freaking out that I was so far behind. So I went like zero to 60 on some of my own decisions. Um, what would you say to someone? Pay off debt or save and pay off the debt? Is there? I guess there's no one I right answer. I think there's no right one right answer. Again, it has to be what's going to keep you in this habit. So some people will tackle the, their debt first, and then those debt service payments will revert to being savings as soon as the debt's paid off. So whatever you were using towards paying off your credit cards, your okay. So it's loans, like saving because well, you're getting the debt. Yeah, down. and yeah. then the, you know instead of taking that money and now spending it or increasing your budget for other things, you'll just put that right into saving. But if it makes you feel motivated and better that you're doing both and it's going to take a little longer to pay off the debt, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, the conventional wisdom is tackle the high interest debt first. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, because it is costly. The credit card the debt is, whole, yeah. Like 18, 20%, it's a whole like show. you said. But some people just, you want to have those wins that create momentum, mm-hmm. that good compounding. So if it if that means paying off something first and quickly, even if it's lower interest rates, some people prefer that method. It's called like avalanche versus snowball. Oh, got it. Different, I've never heard yeah, of that. Yeah, there's oh, different. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was the habit I think that really helped me. And mm-hmm. I think I did get rid of my credit card debt. If I remember, it was the student debt. I was like, this is going to take me quite a long time. I'm going to have to start savings because I, I can't just clear this anytime soon. But the last payment when I walked into CIBC, I was so happy. I think when I meant yeah. uh, when I gave the payment and the teller at that time, like I think stamped, they stamped something. Yeah. I think I was like expecting them to know it was my last payment or something, and like to like congratulate. Yeah, celebrate. <laughs> nothing it. happened, right? I just walk out. <laughs> look at this yeah. No, but, but you I, should uh, celebrate that. Oh, I d- yeah. Fantastic. Oh, it was Rockwood Mall in Mississauga, Burnham Thorpe and Dixie. I'll just never forget. It felt fr- like I felt yeah. free. It's amazing that it's burned into your it's memory. It's just totally. I'm curious, what were some of the financial books that you read in your the education of you? I guess it was the late, I guess it was really late 90s that um, one of the ones that stuck out for me was uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. So that was like a big one. And, mm-hmm. and I think because it was like a story and it kind of resonated. Nar- and I had narrative format. Narrative yeah. format. I didn't understand assets, liabilities. And then I went on to read, uh, I think his follow-up book was The Cashflow Quadrant. Mm-hmm. And then it just talked about, like you do, kind of like, you know, just income and, you know, building up your assets. These are liabilities. I never heard these kind of concepts. Yeah, see, that's the difference. What I was saying, because I was in, you know, commerce, in first year I had to take accounting. And that's like the first thing you learn. Yeah. yeah. On the left, credits yeah. or on the right. No, you learn about and balance so sheet. And I would have been out of university so, here by yeah. like, I think I went at 96. So it was like three years after university that I just started like reading. Like I'm in like my tw- mid late twenties. Mm-hmm. Before that, I, I read a couple books. I remember, do you remember the world's biggest bookstore? Yes. Right off Young in Street. In Toronto? Yeah. Sure I do. Yeah. I would hang out there all the time and I would go in there and I'd go into the financial section and I read one book that was like, your money or your life? Yes. I was some older book and yes, it basically said you book. could work for money forever or you could choose to live. I think I have that book. Really? Look and when I get home. Okay. I think so. I remember reading it thinking, I want to live. I want to <laughs> live. I don't want to work forever. Yeah, I'm a ton. And then there was another one. Uh, oh, I read The Wealthy Barber. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Everyone says that one. I read The Wealthy Barber. Narrative format again. That's yes. I think he's the one. Dave Chilton is the one who came up with the narrative format for okay. This okay. kind of book. Financial okay. Book. So that one, um, what were the, er- oh, I read one book that always stuck with me by an, an author who wrote a lot of like, I don't know if it's like call you metaphysics or he wrote a book like on new, some new age stuff. But I think that back then it was called new age. But anyway, this book was on money and it was called uh, Trick to Money is Having Some by Stuart Wilde. 
never heard of it. Oh man, it was so good. I remember reading that book and just canceling my, I had a cell phone. ClearNet was the cell phone company. I don't know. That was an early, so, and I canceled my cell phone. I'm like, I got all these expenses I got to get out of my that, life. That so it really had an impact. Yeah, that one you're... had an impact. Um, I really like, and that's why I kind of resonate with your book because I love at the end where you have the exercises because mm-hmm. it makes you think. It's not just like you finish the, the chapter and you move on. Those are the kinds of things that really make me understand concepts. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you have those in there, I'm like, oh, this is really good the way you did this. And, and I'll bring up the values Thank again you. because to me, I don't resonate. I'm weird in that Nick, my brother, is much more looking for deals and managing dollar and cents mm-hmm. I go all a lot on my life on feel like if something mm-hmm. feels right mm-hmm. which is maybe sounds weird so I've never really thought there was a lack of money going to be in my like I was never concerned I would have a lack of money it was more just oh I need to organize this thing called money mm-hmm. like I'm always going to have enough I will always have more than enough money in my life I just need to organize the buckets like you describe mm-hmm. so that they're in the right places mm-hmm. where at this point I've been having money flow into my life not a problem it's just it's flowing right out <laughs> right. So I just need to, I just need to organize it. So, um, a lot of the things that resonated with me then changed from how to pay off debt to, Oh, how do I make money in the manner I want to make it? You know, what's this thing entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and can you have a career and a side hustle? Can that side hustle produce some extra revenue for my life? So I started a couple of websites that did affiliate sales with Amazon oh, yeah? way back early really? in the day. Yeah, cool. I started in a website called Sales in the City because I thought, oh, there's all these sales <laughs> and people want to know the sales and I'll sell this newsletter. I did all these kind of side oh, that's things. that's so cool. Um, so uh, I wish I could remember a few more of the early books. But anyway, oh, that's a good, but the world's biggest good. bookstore, like that was really, really important to me. And uh I just think your book can have that impact on people. Oh, so thank I'm you. Just th- I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I mean, I really wanted to help parents with this because, as I said, this is something they, a lot of parents feel they're just, yeah. they're not good at it themselves, so they don't want to talk about it, or they have a lot of money and they don't want to talk about it, or they're afraid they're going to get uncomfortable questions, or they, you know, they don't want to share the mistakes they've made, and all, you know, every mistake is a lesson and a learning opportunity. So you can even share those. Your kids aren't expecting you to be perfect. They they know you're not. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I tell them all I screwed so. up all the time. But even the fact that you broke it out into teaching young children, teaching mm-hmm. preteens, mm-hmm. teaching teenagers, and then teaching emerging adults. And you even get into what bonds are. And, and the way you break it down, I like because you're like, well, you can just explain it this way. Like you just have a nice yeah. way oh, to, to, to clearly explain these concepts where I feel like today, like we just had a team meeting here. We were talking about the bottom market right now because it affects mortgage rates and the whole yes. bit. And there's some people on our team asking questions because we're all still learning. Like we're, you know, in our forties, mm-hmm. uh, a, a bunch of these questions were keep coming from people in their forties. They had never had these conversations around bonds and what the bond market does and not. how it dictates some rates on mortgages and that kind of thing. Yes. The earlier, you know, these concepts, I feel like the earlier you can set yourself up properly and then pre- be free of all this stuff, mm-hmm. you know? I'm sure you see some adults that could benefit from your book. So what I want to know is, yeah, when you see adults, what do you see as a common theme where you're telling your husband or someone like, I can't believe these people are still doing this. Like, what's the common thing Canadians are messing Um, up on? That's a good question. Something you must say, like. Well, I think a lot of parents just don't prioritize this. So it's the not teaching their kids part. Yeah, got but it. in terms of their own, I mean, I think what we talked about before, like not paying themselves first mm-hmm. and you can set that up so easily as an automatic transfer. 
Like you don't have to even manually do it. You can just have it done at the bank directly. So just, I think not, I mean, there's a lot of healthy habits that I go over and I think the opposite is not doing those things. So, you know, not knowing where you stand, not prioritizing savings, not understanding the difference between needs and wants and explaining those to your kids, not um, protecting the downside, like with insurance or an emergency fund. Um, Yeah, the emergency fund is so um, key. I feel like when you have an emergency fund in place, it gives you peace of mind. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not always freaking out. You have that liquidity, so you don't have to sell something at the wrong time. You can get through... You know, or you're not in a really terrible situation where you may have to like sell your house or something like that. Yes. So there's, you know, the I think the pandemic and COVID was really a big wake up call around the emergency fund. Mm-hmm. Had the mm-hmm. government not stepped in with all these, you know, things, it would have been terrible if mm-hmm. people didn't have an emergency fund. Um, I think also like having wills, updated wills and powers of attorney. Oh, yeah. Like so half smart. of Canadians, I think it's. Yeah, we actually had someone here talking about the importance of that he's dealing with people all the time where they pass away, the estate isn't set properly in a will, and it's an absolute disaster because the government then comes in and dictates what's happening to some of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, exactly. Well, that's what happens when you die without a will. You die intestate, and there's rules at the province, and it's different in every province as to what happens to your assets, and it's not necessarily what you would have wanted. And it's amazing how many high-profile people die without a will like I just I think Aretha Franklin died without a will no Prince. way and I think I just read that Chadwick Boseman the actor wow. the Black Panther died without a will so I don't know it's very common and you know what there's uh, all these solutions now there's a lot of online wills uh where if you have a fairly simple situation you can get a will done very quickly online um I, yeah, I hate to hear about that. And I, because we see it too in real estate where some people are left with some property in their family, but then they have to sell the properties because there's no will and nothing set up properly. Mm-hmm. They don't have the ta- the money to pay for the tax at the deemed disposition right. of these properties. Well, it turns right. into like this just disaster where if there was some basic thing set up, maybe a life insurance policy yes, here and there and just like a, a few basic things have been like, oh my gosh, you've been so set up. But again, we don't talk talk about uh, uh, these things. Um, you know, some of the books I read early on and uh, well, well, I have a few, just a few more questions I want to yeah, sneak in for you were um, about living a balanced life. Like I remember reading about books and then I remember reading about books on like productivity and like setting up your mm-hmm. day properly <laughs> and being a perfectly balanced life. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't do getting this. Getting things like, done. Getting that was the, the yeah, yeah, book on yeah, that. David, yeah, that's, I forget the guy's name now. Getting things done. It's like the original. Yeah, that's right. Book. With all the all the colored folders and stuff. <laughs> you had to sort all this stuff. I remember that book. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And uh, um, I just remember thinking, until I get my finances straight, I can't seem to have a balanced life because so much of my life is like, I have to pay the car and I have to pay rent or this mortgage that so I true. really need to dedicate. And it sounds kind of some people don't like hearing this, uh, but I'm like, you really have to dedicate some part of your life to setting up your finances because if you don't, and let's say health and fitness are important to you, you're never going to be able to get to the yoga class because you're always going to be freaking about money and you're never going to have enough money to have the time to have some freedom to go to yoga when you want to go to yoga. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm like, don't, even if money's not your thing, spend some time setting it up just because then the rest of your life is going to be great. That's such good advice because I think people think they can get away with 
not putting any time into their finances because money's not their thing or I'm bad with numbers or I'm bad with money or I just glaze. You can't afford to do that. No. It's like your health. You can't afford to ignore the signs that your body's telling you if something's wrong or whatever. You don't have to be a doctor, but you have to be the person that's like paying attention. And it's the same with your money. So you can set it up, but I, I argue that you also have to kind of maintain it. You have to put time in, whether it's mm -hmm. every week or every month. So I agree, like get those systems in place. Yeah, you can't place. just let, yeah. And then some of it is a bit of a set it and forget it. Like yep. you can do that to some degree. But I find uh, there's always things to review and to be on top of and periodically to look at like subscriptions right now. Do I have like way too many subscriptions? We all do. Make Let's any face sense? It. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I put a lot of time into my personal finances. Maybe again, I'm comfortable with it. Like, yeah, you know, I love love a good. You can tell you, yeah, you can tell good, you love it. Yeah, yeah, like it's just something I feel very comfortable. And my kids always saw that I was conscientious, oh, that yeah. I was doing that kind of stuff. But even you know, parents who aren't accountants, uh, you know, I've heard stories where you know the one thing they remember is their mom doing their budgeting on a spreadsheet or even on a piece of paper, and just setting that example because that's one of the other strategies we talked about values i briefly mentioned teachable moments but being a good financial role model for your kids or trying to be the best you can by getting your own financial house in order is so important mm -hmm. and you're teaching your kids with with just knowing you really briefly here like the hard work you're doing putting time into a book updating a book being here sharing this message they're learning from you in all these other wonderful ways and i like to think so yeah for sure <laughs> yeah that's it. yeah and and going back to my parents as much as i said they didn't teach us much about money is i learned hard work just from watching them work right. ethic hard work our mom not having any money for christmas presents and one year her getting an extra job and you know, yes, just all those you stories. learn. Yeah, you just learn through through just their their actions. Are you working with clients right now as an accountant? No, I don't. Okay, I was going to say you would sit, you'd be time. so great because oh, people would thanks. love sitting down with you and talking about their situation and getting your opinion on that. So you're not no, doing that now. No, okay. no, I'm like not a real accountant anymore. I like to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah, you can just you talk the big game. I'm an yeah. accountant. Now, I, I am still like you know a certified like I pay my dues and I you know you never forget what a debit or credit is. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I just. Do this I just I speak and do the book and you know work with financial institutions those are really my clients to create content that is engaging and resonates with their clients yeah awesome so, well you are a great representative of all this so thank, thank you, you for yeah thank you for the book and then yeah where's the best is it the URL the website how, how do you want people to find you yeah uh, there is a URL for the book which is thewisestinvestment.com um, on that website you will get the financial role model self-assessment that we talked about briefly and then my other website is my name robintobe.com it's T-A-U-B and that's the one with the values validator and it has just more about speaking appearances it has my blog um all that stuff awesome awesome i mean thank you for doing this is there anything i missed that i should have been no asking it was you? very thorough yeah? Okay. yeah we got it all. i feel like i let you off easy we're just meeting each other next time i can put you on the hot okay seat. I feel all like right yeah, but thank you robin this okay. is amazing my thank pleasure. you for the book um amazon.ca also yes. links off your website links off sure. my website but you can get it on amazon it's um as a, as a physical book as well as an ebook yeah cool thank you so much robin. my pleasure really thank this. you
Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Robin. You can find more about her book by visiting thewisestinvestment.com. That's thewisestinvestment.com. You can also find her book on Amazon. It's called The Wisest Investment. That's it for this particular episode. If you're listening to this and you want to get some real estate specific information, you can get free copies of all of our books at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. We have four different books there. Each of them tackle real estate in a different manner. The Your Life, Your Terms book is actually written by different investors that we've worked with. And every chapter of that particular book is their own journey, how they got started, why they got started, some of the challenges and the successes that they've had in real estate. You can get a free digital copy of that book at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's it for this episode. Until next time, Your Life, Your Terms.